Have you ever experienced a sudden, unexpected storm? I feel silly asking the question because some of us have just in the last few weeks. Others of us had no clue anything was even going on, even after some time. But some of us experienced uh, some rain, some wind, perhaps maybe even close enough to that storm to be a little sat off or put off our balance or whatever you want to say by it. Did you know the deadliest weather-related natural disaster in American history was essentially an unexpected storm? It was a level four hurricane that made landfall right at Galveston, Texas in the year 1900, in early September. There were some signs of a storm, but no one thought that that storm was going to be as significant as it was. In fact, on that day, September 8, 1900, that level four hurricane made landfall at a largely uninformed, unexpecting, and even unconcerned Galveston, Texas. It, it was a, a local hotspot that in that day was having its heyday. It was a place that people would go to on holiday vacation to us. And there were many guests in Galveston at that time. The local sectional director for the National Weather Service at that time was a man by the name of Isaac Klein. In his report to the National Weather Service in Washington, D.C., that was written some two weeks after the storm. You can actually still read that report National Weather Service Heritage Site. He writes about the calm that was before the storm, even going into the next day, the day of the storm. He talks about how there were some warnings given out about the possibility of a storm but the reality is that he nor the, the residents or guests of Galveston, Texas, expected the storm to be anywhere near as severe as it was. In fact, just hours before the, the more severe warnings started to go out. Isaac Klein writes about how he and the other Employees of the National Weather Service stayed at the station as long as they could, taking readings. He himself even went out to the beach, the coast, a couple of times to get his eyes on the situation there. And as it worsened and their instruments at the weather station were being demolished and destroyed, they made their way from the office 
done as much as they could. And he writes in his report, I went home to lunch. His home was very near the coastline. He believed that his home was built sufficiently enough to stand any storm that would make landfall there. And I'm, I'm talking, this is, again, after the weather station had been essentially put out of commission, he goes to his home thinking, we'll be fine here. In fact, 50 other people who didn't think their homes were sufficient showed up at Isaac Klein's home to seek refuge in his house with he and his family. As he writes in his report, they, um, they started enduring the storm, but at the height of the storm, Galveston, Texas, which today sits about seven feet above sea level, I'm about eight feet above sea level, there was approximately a 20-foot storm surge. Now, if you're unfamiliar feet above sea level, a 20-foot storm surge means you're under feet of water, lots of feet of water. He writes how he opened the door of his home. At, at that time, there was about eight inch deep water in his home, but he said that level went up by four feet in as many seconds. He suddenly found himself in waist deep water on the first floor of his home, and before he or anyone anything about it, the home began to fall apart. The 50 people who sought refuge, plus his wife and children of that number, however many it was, only 18 would survive as his house was torn apart. He talked about it, floated on some of the wreckage, watching as the wind was so severe, it was literally blowing timbers from homes through the air, and others like them who were floating on debris... Some of them were being killed by materials being blown through the air like missiles. At the time of his report, again, some two weeks after this severe unexpected storm, he included the name of about 3,600 people already confirmed dead and wrote in his report that that number was certainly at least six with guests in town that perhaps they weren't known about, people missing, that number could possibly even max out at about 20,000 people. I don't, I don't know, but I can imagine that even though they were uninformed, unexpecting, and some, even as warnings were given out, were just unconcerned. That as they went through that storm, people were afraid. Terrified. And I wonder, can you imagine or identify with the fear that people going through that ordeal must have had? Maybe you can remember a, a natural disaster like that that you lived through. 
And maybe you can remember experiencing some fear as that storm was raging. Perhaps you can't think of a time in your life where you went through some sort of natural disaster like you can think of other experiences in life that have produced some type of fear. If you can identify with that, it's because you have gone through something similar yourself. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus' disciples certainly could identify. Following Jesus' teaching the multitude in parables that we saw recently, we read this account in Luke 8, verses 22 to 25. Asked on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Read the statement with me, would you? Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Jesus entered a ship with his disciples, and he suggested... They go to the other side. And so the disciples set out. During that journey, Jesus fell asleep before a sudden, unexpected storm blew in. We tend to give the disciples a hard time about experiences like this, don't we? I mean, have you ever read the scriptures and you come across those times where they have an experience like this and they respond the way they do. And you think, come on, guys. What's your problem? Jesus is with you. Jesus is being on the boat. The storm can't be that bad. What's wrong with you guys? But take that back. If you can identify with the fear that people in Galveston, Texas on September 8th, 1900 must have had, you've been through a similar situation, and the disciples find themselves in an experience like that. They are, some of them, experienced on the water. They're fishermen. They've been out in boats like this before. I have a picture of what we believe the boat would have looked like. It's a skiff similar to this, approximately 26 feet in length. There would have only been enough space on a boat like this for Jesus and the 12. They wouldn't have been able to carry any more than that. In fact, this is a 
This is an artist's replica of a hole that was found near the Sea of Galilee. Some have even called the Jesus boat. This is the boat Jesus was on. Can we be sure of that? No, of course not. But it would have looked something very similar to this. And they're out in the middle of the sea when suddenly a, a storm begins to rage. Pastor Tony Evans, who has visited Israel, wrote that his guide shared with them that the sea's location in the Jordan Rift allows storms to blow in with little to no warning. One scholar pens that the Sea of Galilee is capable of producing storms violent enough to destroy a boat like what Jesus and the disciples would have used. Well, if the boat's destroyed and you're out in the, the sea a few miles from shore in the midst of a raging storm, what is a outcome of that for you death by drowning now i don't know about you but i can imagine that death by drowning is not a pleasant experience say pastor death isn't i realize that but i'm saying if you and i could pick different ways to go drowning doesn't sound very pleasant to me and they were afraid is it any wonder why they were terrified luke reports as we read here that they were filled with water and jeopardy the word jeopardy is used here means to be in danger or to run a risk they were at risk the boat was at risk their lives were at risk Matthew records in Matthew 13, 24 that the ship was covered with waves. And so whatever this storm was, it is blowing hard enough, producing waves large enough to come over the side of the boat and into the boat. Beyond the danger of the boat filling and sinking is also the possibility of sailors or or people on the boat getting washed over into the sea. Having been an eyewitness and participant of these events, I'm speaking of Matthew, he was there, right? Matthew, who penned the gospel according to Matthew, is also Levi, the tax collector that Jesus called one of the twelve disciples. He was in the boat, right? He's an eyewitness. I'm sure he remembered it well. As he penned it years later. While they grew more and more scared, where is Jesus and what's he doing? He's at the back of the boat sleeping. Now, you ask, Pastor, how in the world could you sleep through that? I have no idea. None. I think I've shared with you before, I was a student at Pensacola Christian when level four Hurricane Ivan made landfall right at Pensacola. And it came through overnight. The, the winds, I forget exactly, were in excess of whatever level four is, 130 plus miles per hour sustained 
lot of rain. If you've ever been on campus, seen pictures at Pensacola, there are a lot of trees. 60% of them were just gone as a result of that storm. What did I do through it? I slept. They had bunkered us in the sports center. I was in the women's locker room. It was all guys in the sports center, okay? Don't think anything weird. I was in the women's locker room sleeping on one of the benches and woke up the next morning and someone made some comment about it's over. And I was like, really? That was much to do about nothing. But I was inside a four-side building in the very center inside of a, a pretty heavily built room. Jesus is on a boat that is filling with water, still sleeping. But eventually... The disciples woke him with fearful cries. Luke records, Master, Master, we perish. Matthew records, Lord, save us, we perish. And how about Mark's gospel, which records, Master, carest thou not that we perish? You say, which was it? All of them. I mean, the 12 disciples are all crying, I'm sure, different things. And, and the gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is giving us different, different looks at their mindset, their hearts, and what they're crying out. They simply make a declaration, we perish. They make a request in Matthew's gospel, Lord, save us. Mark's gospel says they question that Jesus is even aware of or concerned with what's going on. That's what the phrase means. And that one hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Jesus, aren't you even interested? Are, are you even concerned? But Jesus awoke. He rebuked the waves, calmed the storm, and then spoke to his disciples question pierces deep into their hearts and what was the question where is your faith that's the question i want to ask you this morning where is your faith think about this a writer put it this way jesus did not wake up calm the storm and say wow what a storm instead he asked where is your faith Jesus was not disturbed by the storm, but he was disturbed by his disciples' of faith. Where is your faith? That demonstrates how this account connects with us. We may never go out in a body of water on a boat and go through a storm that we fear is going to take our lives. When you've heard people in the past, including myself, get preach on storms, we're not talking about you might go out someday and be in a rainstorm, a windstorm, a tornado, a hurricane, or whatever, and fear for your life and grow afraid and be helpless and need, need God to be there with you. We're not talking about it in that sense. We're talking about those things that come into your life that cause us to feel helpless and hopeless. In this way, the disciples' storm encounter relates to us. The issue wasn't the rain, the wind. The issue was 
they were helpless and they were hopeless. And the same is often true of us. And I wonder, based on my encounter with storms, would Jesus ask me, where is your faith? As we think about this question for ourselves, I want you to consider just two aspects of the text with me. Number one is, is that our encounters with storms. For the disciples, it literally was a weather-related storm. It was a blast of wind, thick darkness, lightning, thunder, heavy rain, and choppy waves that threatened the boat and their lives. It left them desperate. They were helpless and growing hopeless. I think it's interesting, as Pastor Ronnie read for us from Psalm 107 today, that talks there about those who go out in the waters, go out on the seas and the oceans, and, and have experiences with the, the mysteries of God's creation there. And there in Psalm 107, it talks about how they're with trouble. They're desperate. They become afraid to the storm. But then in, in Psalm 107, verse number 27, it says they reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. Their wits end. Literally, it means they've come to the end of their own wisdom. And I have to wonder, the disciples, as the storm is raging, some of them are experienced fishermen and sailors. Are they doing everything they can to make it through? Hey, let's do this with the sail. Hey, let's take the oars and row this direction. Let's try to, to get out of this storm. Are they doing everything they can? And when they finally come to the end of themselves, they come to Jesus because they're helpless and they're growing hopeless. What storms have you encountered? Let's, let's give a definition to storms. You may want to write this down. Storms are any situation, circumstance, or experience that you didn't choose or plan for that leave you helpless and potentially hopeless. Storms are any situation, circumstance, or experience that you didn't choose or plan for leave you helpless and potentially hopeless. Can I ask you today, have you ever been in a situation that you didn't choose? That you didn't plan for? Have you ever gone through some experience of life that you didn't choose, you didn't plan for? If you had sat down and wrote out the story of your life, if you had made uh, up the the way that your life would go, you would have never written that into your story. Have you ever been through that type of experience? If you have, you know what it is. To feel helpless, to even potentially feel hopeless. It, it could be a health-related problem. It could be a relational breakdown. A financial hole, a job loss, an unexpected piece of news. Come home yesterday afternoon when I got a call from Matt Coker. 
many of you already know, you saw it on the flock note, but Matt told me that he and Ruth were at the hospital in Greensboro with Ruth's son, who was found unresponsive yesterday morning, and they determined he had colon cancer that had spread, and they've not given him much hope. And I asked Matt, were you guys even aware of cancer? And he said, no, this is completely unexpected. He had no idea, and I could hear both in he and Ruth's voices that experience of being somewhere, going through something that you didn't plan, that you didn't choose. And we all know what it is to be in those types of situations. I vividly remember two times of job uncertainty, even in ministry. When I became the pastor at the campus church, we were actually between pastors at the time, and I'd been serving as the youth pastor for a year when a pastor was called. And several months into his pastorate, we had a meeting that I walked away from going, does he even want me to be on staff with him? And it was like a day before our Christmas vacation. We went on Christmas vacation, and we had traveled that Christmas vacation to Illinois where my parents live and spent the time with them and I remember not sleeping well and spending the whole vacation kind of amped up just wondering what our future was going to hold and returning to Pensacola scheduling a meeting with my pastor and and questioning him and saying do you even want me to be your youth pastor and it was a time of uncertainty we've experienced pregnancy concerns and anxiety and the grief that goes with that we have faced the is it cancer question and the fears and the words that come along with them and many of you all of you know what it is to experience things that leave you helpless that that make you grow hopeless and if you do you know right where the disciples were when they faced this storm what was true of the storms they faced? I want you to think about this today. Number one, storms occur even in places of obedience. Do you realize that? Think about the disciples. Jesus went into the boat with them. It was Jesus that suggested, let's go to the other side. This wasn't the disciples going their own thing and and jesus was along for the ride it was jesus who said hey let's sail over to the other side so if i can say this the disciples were right where they were supposed to be they were doing what they were supposed to be doing and yet they faced a storm they encountered this storm isn't it true? We might say, well, we know that's not true. Sometimes we live and react to things. Isn't it true that we naturally think that the right path is the easy path? You say, no, pastor. No, I don't think that. Well, let me ask you, have you ever had that experience where you believed God was closing a door or maybe you walked through a door, 
you went a direction in life because you believed that's what God wanted for you, but then you encountered difficulty. Okay, so you're staring at an open door. And you are wondering, am I supposed to go through that door? And you're praying about it. You're asking God to give you direction. And even as you're looking at that open door, you encounter some difficulty. And what's your thought? Well, I'm not supposed to go through that door because there's been some difficulty. Or you go through an open door. You've prayed about it. God gave you peace about it. So you step through that open door, believing it to be God's will, and then you encounter difficulty. And what do you think? I must not have, I wasn't supposed to go through that door. Am I right? This is the way we think and the way we react because we've encountered difficulty. Encountering difficulty does not mean that you're on the wrong path. Can I put it this way? That you're in the wrong boat. That you're in a place of disobedience. You can encounter a storm, a difficulty and experience a situation that you would not have chosen or planned to go through even in a place of obedience. You may be going on along in life and suddenly you're in the middle of a storm and you might have this what did I do wrong? Right? What did I do to deserve this? Have you ever thought that? God, I thought I was doing right, but now I'm not so sure anymore because I've encountered this storm, this difficulty. The presence of a storm does not mean that you're in a place of disobedience. The right way is not always the easy way. Just because you encounter a storm does not mean that you have done something wrong or that you have gone a wrong way, and this is God's way of dealing with you. Can that happen? Sure. But just because you encounter a storm doesn't mean that that has happened. You can encounter storms even in places of obedience. Think about this. Storms are not a reply to faith, but they reveal faith. Storms are not a reply to faith, but they reveal faith. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Did the disciples encounter this storm because they lacked faith? Or did the storm simply reveal a lack in their faith? If we're not careful, here's what I think. I encountered a storm. I must not have enough faith. And that's why I encountered a storm. As if people who have great faith don't encounter storms. But is that true? No. Certainly not true. After he woke, Jesus rebuked the sea he calmed the storm and he questioned the disciples where is your faith but that was not to say hey guys if you had the faith you should we wouldn't have had this storm no the storm revealed that they lacked faith how do we know that i think the question of mark's gospel reveals it doesn't it 
carest thou not? Lord, are you even interested? Are you even concerned? Do you remember the hymn, Does Jesus Care? You know, the, the man who wrote that was a pastor. And he was a man who, who was known for his sunshiny disposition. If you read the account of it, everywhere he went, everyone who knew him, he had a smile on his face, he was of a bubbly personality, and the sun was always shining with him. But what people don't realize, didn't realize, even many who knew him, is he was a man who faced some dark times in his life. In fact, he didn't even reveal him them. Uh, history, you can't go back and find what exactly were those difficulties, but he was a man who even regularly struggled with depression. But yet he wrote that song, Does Jesus Care?, and I have to wonder, is that a question he regularly answered, asked himself, but he gave the answer in the chorus, didn't he? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. But the disciples were asking, does he care? Are you concerned? Are you even interested? One writer said of the disciples' response in Jesus' question, difficult circumstances, storms, so to speak, are not evidence of unbelief. Rather, unbelief is the rejection of a promise or a command of God relevant to a particular situation. Well, what was the promise or command the disciples had received in this situation? If you would, look back at verse number 22. When Jesus suggested that they sail in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, what did he say? He said... Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. If Jesus is saying that, what does that mean? You're making it to the other side. So no matter the storm that comes, should the disciples wonder, does he even care, is he interested, are we going to die here in the middle of the lake? No, they were making it through to the other side. You've heard it before, right? But it's so true, and it applies to so many areas of our lives. Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not going to take you to that place and leave you there, right? You're going to make it through. And we could look at that in so many different areas of our lives. With it, don't we? Jesus told them, You'll make it through to the other side. The, the storm wasn't, You lack faith, so here's a storm to, to reprimand you for it. But the storm revealed where they lacked faith. Jesus said, We're going over. And yet, they panicked. They became hopeless and helpless and hopeless. Remember these truths everyone encounters storms regardless of the level of faith you have. Storms will reveal, though, gaps or weaknesses in the faith of everyone. If you go through a storm, you may learn very quickly where your faith is weak, where there's a gap, where it's not up to the level that God would have it be. 
But that gap or weakness in the faith reveals a rejection of a promise or a command of God relevant to that situation. In, in, in any area. Be it financial, be it spiritual, be it emotional. When you face a storm and you become helpless and hopeless, that storm is revealing where your faith is weak. But I want to move on quickly to secondly our encounters not with storms, encounters with the Savior. Think about the experiences of the disciples. At this point, they'd been with Jesus for some time. Even if we stayed just in Luke's gospel. In the middle of Luke chapter 6, Jesus prayed all night and then he chose the twelve of those who were already following him, who he would have with him, and they would be his apostles. Those are the twelve who are with him on the boat. Even if you just start there in Luke 6, what have they seen Jesus do? Well, they've seen Jesus preach God's kingdom agenda. They have seen Jesus heal the centurion's servant from a distance. They've seen Jesus resurrect a widow's son to life they've heard jesus teach the the crowds in parables they've heard him teach god's word with authority they've seen him heal people of demon oppression and possession they've seen jesus heal people of their infirmities they've again heard him teach the word of god with authority and power now that's not all the experiences they've had with jesus that's only what we find in Luke since their official call. And that's a lot, isn't it? They've had a lot of experiences with Jesus and still they struggled with faith. But can I make a, a comment that, that I think is true? With as much as they have with Jesus... It is still not as much as we've experienced with Jesus. Say, Pastor, how can you say that? You and I have this thing right here, don't we? I mean, we've got, we've got 2,000 years since Jesus was here of history, counts of his work to save, to heal, to transform lives, to bring people out of pits and set them on a rock. We've got, we've got all of the record right here. And 2,000 more years of, of seeing it and hearing it. Where we can go out and see what God has done in the lives of others. We have the years of our own experience and what he has done in us and for us and through us. And yet we struggle with faith. So let's see more about their encounter with the Savior and reflect on our own. Think about the Savior's presence. What was true? Jesus was there in the boat with them. Let us. He wasn't leaving, he was there. In verse 24, they came to him. He was right there all along. They could go to him at any moment. 
G. Campbell Morgan, a a preacher of yesteryear, said this account shows the abiding care of Jesus for his people. There are many Christians today who seem to think the boat is going down. He said, I am tired of the wailing of some of my friends that take this view. The boat cannot go down. Jesus is on board. But haven't you ever felt that way? Man, this boat sinking fast. The town's on fire and I'm in the middle of it. This is the end. You say, Pastor, I've never thought that. Yeah, have you ever thought it around election season? When the person you thought should have gotten into office didn't? I remember reading in a well-known Christian periodical leading to the election of 2016. If that one gets into office, the church in America is in trouble. We're not going to be able to train pastors anymore. We're not going to be able to win souls anymore. And even as I read it, I thought, I can't believe I'm reading this. I mean, can, can we be honest about it for a moment? The first century church wasn't a utopia of Christian freedom. And yet turned the world upside down for Jesus. Friends, the boat isn't going down. The city isn't on fire. I know it's a popular hymn, but it's not time to set up camp and hold the fort and just wait till Jesus comes. The church is still powerful enough that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So let's get over this mindset. The boat's going down. No. Now, it's natural to have that kind of response to things, but if you're God's child, Jesus is in the boat, he's there, he's here, and he's always near enough for you to get to him when you want to get to him. Can I say, even if this storm happened in the middle of obedience, but sometimes storms come in the middle of disobedience, don't they? But can I tell you, even if your storm comes in the middle of disobedience, he is still near enough to get to him if you want to get to him. You remember the story of the prodigal son? All he had to do was walk back to the father, and even before he got there, the father ran to him, covered him in his love, his mercy, his grace, and God does the same for you and me. Think about the Savior's power. What power did the storm have in the face of Jesus' presence and power? None. Absolutely none. Okay, so the question for you and I is, does Jesus still have that same effective power today? He does. Is God's hand shortened that he cannot save? Has God, as time has gone on, lost some of his power? Has his well of grace, mercy, and loving kindness started to dry up? No. He's the same God. He has the same power. Same grace, same mercy, same loving kindness, same goodness is available to you and I that has been available to anyone of every generation throughout history. 
You say, but pastor, you don't understand the storm that I'm going through. You don't understand the storm that I'm facing. My boat is going down. I'm going through life and I'm hitting rock bottom. Well, I love the answer. Again, Pastor Tony Evans had to that. He, he said, when you through the storm and you feel like you're hitting rock bottom, that may be what God is allowing to happen so he can show you that he is the rock at the bottom. That's good. Wherever you are in life, whatever you face, the question isn't, Jesus, do you care? Where are you? The real question we should ask is, where is my faith? Where is your faith? He's the same he's always been. If you're his child, he's with you. He's in the boat. His power is not diminished. His hand not can't save. It's the same as he's always been. Where is your faith? If you're a child of God, put your faith in Jesus as you face storms rather than succumbing to fear. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus is the Savior of the world, one and only. You cannot be saved by any other truth, any other way, any other Savior. No other system of works or religion can get you to heaven. And the Bible isn't a system of works and religion. It's a, about a relationship that God wants to have with you through his son Jesus. And you can come into that relationship through faith in Christ. 